now, God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for tonight, God. Thank you for making a way, Father, that we could be back in your house to study your word. I thank you for this book. I thank you for this word. I thank you for the life-giving water that it is, God. I thank you for the encouragement and the strength and the help and the hope that it is. Most of all, we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for loving us in spite of us, God. I pray you'd meet with us now. I pray for this group of people and anybody on live stream. Would you teach us something about your word tonight that would help us to be a better servant for you? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 1, verse number 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So thank you, you guys are standing and can be seated. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the greatest moments in the history of mankind. It signals victory. It signals victory over death. It signals victory over hell. It signals victory over sin. It signals victory over the grave. I mean, it, it is one of the greatest moments in the history of mankind. But there's also great benefits to the ascension. Um, the ascension is important enough that as the Holy Spirit inspired authors to write in, in the four Gospels and in the book of Acts, just these first five books of the New Testament, the ascension of Christ is important enough that the Holy Spirit mentions it 20 times at least. He uses 13 different words to describe it, and each word gives a different significance of the importance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He took on the form of a man and in that of a baby. His life began in a cradle, and of course, with Denise play, it ended there on the cross. But, but he came to fight a battle that belonged, well, I guess the battle belonged to him because it's not a battle we could win. I can't say the battle belonged to us because um, mankind had already lost the battle. The battle was lost in the temptation in the garden. So he didn't necessarily fight a battle that was ours, but he came to fight a battle for us. And he came to fight a battle that you and I had, had no chance of winning, but now we have victory through him. We have victory because of the fact that he came. Now he's taken this, this battle-scarred body with the scars. You've heard people say that the scars in his hands and feet and his brow and his side, the scars on the body of Jesus are the only man-made things that we'll ever see in heaven. So he's taken this battle-scarred body, and he's gone back seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. That means an awful lot to you and I. That, that, that should really bring a lot of excitement. What it means is we have a defense attorney in God's courtroom. We, we have somebody there, a, a high priest, making atonement for you and I that has sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat that he might give forgiveness for anything that we've done. 
But Jesus is different than he was before he came. When Jesus stepped down out of glory to come pay for our sin debt, he'd never felt pain. He'd never felt humiliation. He'd never suffered. When he stepped to come down here, he he had never been in a human body. But the Bible says that he has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. He understands. He, He knows things from a human perspective now. He understands temptation. He understands what you're dealing with when you deal with pain. He understands suffering. He understands hunger. He knows what it's like to fast 40 days and 40 nights. He understands what rejection is like. The Holy Spirit, of course, inspired men, moved upon men to write the Word of God. So everything is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it talk about God feeling, feeling our infirmities. It talks about he will. It's prophesied that he would bear our infirmities. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. He said he was going to come feel it, but at that point he had never felt what it was like to suffer in a human body. In in the four Gospels, there's there's the accounts, the four given accounts of the life of Christ inspired by the Holy Spirit. But nowhere in the four Gospels does it talk about Jesus feeling our infirmities while he's here. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has been healing a lot of people there in chapter 8. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's preached the Sermon on the Mount. At the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's healing all different sicknesses. And and then somebody comes in verse number 17. He says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, or by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. But after Jesus Christ has finished the work on Calvary's cross, it says that, that now he understands. Now that he has done the work that the Father gave him to do, and he says it is finished hanging on the cross, the Bible says that he understands what we're going through. See, I I think that's important. i got to be honest with you. I, I feel a little differently about this verse even right now. When I was preparing to preach this back at August 4th, and the 11th would have been the Wednesday night that I would have preached, and that was before we got COVID, I feel a little different about this verse right now than I did then. On August 4th, when we were down here doing family night, family faith, family night, and down there, um, I had studied and and looked at at this. But I I, I thought I understood COVID then. I, I thought I understood being sick then. I thought I understood when people were telling me what they dealt with. I thought I understood it. When they talked about I can't breathe, I thought I understood what they were talking about. When they talked about that unbearable, relentless headache, everybody's had a headache, right? I mean, I know what they're talking about. It's a headache. Everybody's got a headache. Yeah, I had no idea what I was talking about. 
I, I thought I understood the fears of, of a family member had been put in the hospital with COVID and, and they were on oxygen. I thought I understood the fears. I understood what it was when my mom was in the hospital with cancer. I understood what it was like with aunts and uncles in the hospital with cancer. I understood what it was like when they put my mom in hospice with cancer. I thought it couldn't be any worse. So I, I thought I just, I understood the fears that people dealt with when a family member has COVID and now they've been put in the hospital. My daughter had COVID back in April and she had a very bad case. For four or five days, it was a very different strain than this Delta variance that's there now. But for four or five days, she was sick as a dog. She was throwing up. She couldn't get out of the bed. She, she had that relentless headache. She was really sick. I thought I understood what she was dealing with. For, for weeks, matter of fact, that was in April, and she still deals with it some. She still deals with some weakness and sickness and out of breath. Tim coming up the hill. Joy, when did Tim have it? He had it like April, May, a year ago. July of 2020, and walking up the hill, he still struggles to breathe. That's not very encouraging to me, by the way. I got high hopes of getting over this stuff. But I see people that had it more than a year ago, they're still struggling. I, I thought I understood some of that stuff. I, I thought I understood what lasting effect was like. I, I thought I understood, like preacher Charles Chapman, our pastor of this church, for 30 years was sitting right there on a Sunday morning. And right after I started preaching, he was coughing, and they got up and they walked out that door. That is the last time I saw him alive. He was coughing and walked out and went, and they got a test. He had COVID, went from there to the hospital, went from there to on the vent, and I never saw him alive again. I, I didn't understand. I thought I understood what the family was dealing with when they put him in there, but, but I, I didn't have a clue. See, until I sat in a chair that night, literally gasping for air, gasping, trying to breathe, and my lungs would not breathe. They were excited. They would cut off, and I'm gasping for air, and my oxygen levels in the 70s and low 80s and, and had to be put on oxygen. I didn't understand. I thought I did. I thought I did. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I thought I understood what it meant not be able to breathe, but until you literally can't breathe, you don't, under, you don't understand that. I thought I understood what a headache was. Everybody's had the headache. But I know, not like that one. I've never had an unbearable, debilitating, turn out the lights, make no noises, can't move, lay in the floor. Headache. I've talked to people that have migraines. I've never had one. I can't compare. But they said the one that they had was worse than migraines. Maybe your migraines are worse. I don't know. But I can tell you this. I thought I knew what they were talking about when they said they had a headache, but I had no idea. I thought I understood what it was like when they put family members in the hospital. I thought I understood what it was like when you had somebody in the hospital and, and they're putting them on 100% oxygen and you can't even go in the hospital and see them. You can pray for them. I thought I understood it. But all of a sudden when we're sitting on Saturday, everything seems pretty fine. But Dr. Salt says, I can't let y'all go through the weekend on Friday. He says, I got to see you on Saturday. He took his own time off to meet us up there and, and Robin and I and Corey and Amanda and do a lung exam on Saturday, put Corey on oxygen. Corey's is bad. He's probably need to see you guys again. What's crazy, woke up Sunday morning. I was a woman with 103 temperature. Hers like 100.6. And, and I was the one who couldn't hardly breathe. She had like she felt fine, but her numbers were terrible. Her oxygen content 70s and 80s, and they say if it's below 90, go to the hospital, right? So we go up there, and he checks her, and he checks her out. And he goes up, and he sits down, and he folds his hand, and he starts calling hospitals trying to find one that will take her because all the hospitals are full, and they're all on diversion. And, and so he's trying to find a hospital, a place to put her in. And, and she asks him, 
Something that affected the problem, and he said they had filled her lungs, and it was in the top front of both lungs. And he's trying to put her in a hospital, and she said, is that bad? And he said, I don't know. I've never seen it before. This is a man dealing 85 to 100 COVID patients a day in his office. That's all he's doing is COVID. My heart sank. Every ounce of hope seemed like it left my body. I'm, I'm trying. I, I'm just telling you, I thought I understood some things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But all of a sudden, when it's your wife that's going in there, and she's the one on auction, and she's the one you can't go see, and she's the one that doctors are telling you they don't know if they're going to make it or not. They won't give you any hope. I don't know. We'll just have to see as day by day. I thought I, all, all I'm saying is, is that Jesus before coming here, might have known humanity. And the Word of God says that the heart of man was def desperately wicked and thought of evil continually. And, and he might have looked at temptation and God saw the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. But when Jesus went back, somebody ought to get excited about this. When he ascended up into the heavens, into the third heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he went back knowing exactly what you're going through. He understands exactly the fear you had when your mom was in the hospital. He understands exactly what your family's going through. He understands exactly what it's like about having to be on oxygen. He understands what it's like to be beaten and can't breathe. He understands what it's like to have your family turn your back on you. He understands what it's like to be sold out by one of your best friends and people to not care anything about you. Whatever you're going through, he he understands it now. He's been there, done that. This ain't a God sitting in heaven that thinks he understands the feeling of my infirmities. He knows what I'm going through. He didn't just come here to pay for my sin debt. He came here, if there's a way to educate God, he came here to get educated on exactly how bad it hurts when something happens in my life. So he does care about you. He does care about what you're going through. He does care about your situation, and he does understand it. Because he came here, and he carried his battle-scarred body back to prove all that he did. Well, that was all free. I'm just telling you, after, after COVID, I studied this text before when I was getting ready to preach back then, and I was studying this text today, and I thought, I've never seen this text quite like this. But I understand what the feeling of my infirmities means now. He understands but because he's, he's been there. Verse number 10 goes on and says, While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. She also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him going to heaven. Now, we spent some time on this verse Sunday morning. It came up in part of the message, and we talked a little bit, so I'm not going to stay there a long time this evening. But there's two great events mentioned right here. One of them's already taken place, but one of them's yet to come. He's already ascended to make intercession on our behalf, but he's coming back to get us. The same Jesus taken up from you to heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him going to heaven. And then just like that, those two men, those two angels that had appeared out of nowhere, obviously disappeared the same way that they appeared because the Bible doesn't talk about them again so the men are gone but the message remained the message hasn't changed it's still there jesus is coming back the first trip here has ended the prophecy of the messiah coming the first time and even what we just read in isaiah 53 
All of the prophecy of Jesus coming on his first trip to earth has been fulfilled to absolute perfection. But as I said on Sunday, the majority of prophecy concerning the Messiah has to deal with the second coming more so than the first coming. The second coming is going to happen exactly the way the first one did. And it's going to be just like in that everything will be carried out to absolute perfection, exactly the way the Word of God says. If you want to know a lot about it, take Daniel and Revelation and do a whole lot of study, and you can find out a lot about it. But the bottom line is Jesus is coming exactly the way it is. So one prophecy is fulfilled, the second is yet to come, but that started a new age. There was a change right there that took place that is very much to our benefit. We live in in a day called the dispensation period of grace. If you don't know you need to thank God for that, just add it to your list and thank him just because you can, that we don't live in something like the dispensation period of the law where we have to keep the law and sacrifice the animals and do all that stuff they had to do. We live in the dispensation period of grace. It means I can walk boldly into the throne room of grace and I can say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me of my failures. Forgive me of every evil thought, every evil deed. And grace says done. I am thankful to be living in the dispensation period of grace. But we're living in the age of the church. This is the church age that we're living in. And the church age will remain until the day when Jesus does step out and come home to call home the church, which will fulfill that prophecy of the second coming. Verse number 12. It says, They returned unto Jerusalem from Mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were coming in, they went into an upper room, and, and then it gives, gives their names there, several of their names, certainly not all of them. But God has sanctified in the beginning the Sabbath day. He's made it holy. He's made it a day of rest. And it, it makes mention that this is a Sabbath day's journey. So my thought would be that because it's a day of rest, a Sabbath day's journey must be a shorter trip. You must not could travel as far. You must not could do as much. And, and I say that because I do know how far they went. We know that they only went like 1.13 miles from, from where they went from to where they went to. We know that it's less than 1.2 miles. I think the exact mile is like, one, I think it's 1.13. But nonetheless, they went just a little over a mile. So a Sabbath day's journey is not a very long trip, right? It's further than I want to walk today, but that's because we're spoiled, slap rotten. Back, back then, it wouldn't have been a, a very long trip. So they go back to Jerusalem and they go to the upper room, and, and they're together as one. If, we look, if you look ahead there at verse 15 in your Bible, it tells us there at the last, in parentheses, there's about 120 of them. So this isn't just the 12. There it is in the parentheses. The names together were about 120. So this is a house full of people. This is a lot of people that was there at the ascension. It's not, well, I said the 12. It's not just the 11. So they go back, but they are given a very difficult assignment seems difficult to me this one may not seem bad to y'all but Jesus told them go back to Jerusalem y'all ready for the four letter word wait what wait all I've just seen Jesus resurrected from the dead Walked with us 40 days, did many, many infallible proofs, did miracles, ascended into the heavens. I watched him go up through the cloud. Two angels done come down here and talk to us and told he's coming back. And you want me to keep my mouth shut and wait? 
Can you imagine? It wouldn't have been bad today. I mean, everybody that had, I don't know, text message, shooting out emails. Y'all been all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They've been throwing stuff out everywhere. It'd been one thing to wait then. At least you could be telling everybody. But, but they had no communication. All they can do is wait. Man, all that news to tell. So they did exactly what every child of God should be doing while they're waiting. It says that they prayed, that they were in one accord. That means there wasn't no grumbling, there wasn't no complaining, wasn't no backbiting, there was no discord. I don't know what denomination they were, but I've been in the Pentecostal and the Baptist churches both. It wasn't either one of them. I think the reason the church has so much discord in it today, this is the Wednesday night. I can't get away with this on Sunday morning because I'd offend so many people, but I'll just go ahead and put it out here. The reason there's so much discord in the church today is because the majority of church members don't effectively pray. They talk about praying. You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Now lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. I mean, they, they got their cute little prayerettes. But very few of them effectively put hours into a fervent prayer. A, a lot of, sorry, there are a lot of I pray for yous out there. But I'm not sure how many of those were backed by prayer. There's a reason there's discord in the church. Prayer is unity. Prayer is time spent with the Holy Spirit, and time spent with the Holy Spirit makes the Holy Spirit one, and one becomes one, and it becomes unity. And, and that's what we see here. See, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just the truth. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be offensive, but, but I see it at faith. Sorry, we do once a month prayer meetings that we ain't been able to do for a while because of COVID. But to be honest, as a pastor, I really wonder, is it worth the trouble to try to get back up because we have to cool the building, which runs the power bills up and do all the things. But out of four or 500 people, we got 12 to 20 show up on a prayer meeting. And most of that staff and deacons. It's a little discouraging. We do a prayer meeting every Tuesday morning, don't we, Greg? It's down to the two of us and maybe one more. Before COVID, there would be eight or ten of us down there on a Tuesday morning. Prayer meant something. Prayer ought to still mean something. If the church is going to grow and if we're going to make a difference in the world, I'm, I'm, pleading, I'm pleading to a group right here. There's enough people right here to make a difference. This is enough prayer warriors right here to change the world. But somebody's got to get adamant about prayer. The, the reason they're in one accord, the reason they have what they have is because they're all together. They're, they're praying. They're praying together. You understand, their command is to wait. Wait how long? I don't know. Five days? Five weeks? Five months? Five years? I don't know how long you got to stay in this room. Got to be pretty cramped in there, 120 people. But, but it doesn't say, I understand that from, from when God told me I'd be a pastor. I, I had to wait. I don't know when. There's a lot of things that God's put in your life. He's given you things that you've got to do, but he hadn't given you the when to do it. And waiting hard, is that hard for y'all? Waiting hard for you? You know you got something to do, but, but all you can do is wait, and that, that's kind of where they are. But, but the fact that nothing is happening right now is not discouraging to them because they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're, they're waiting, they're following the commandment, 
and they're praying together. Verse number 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the name was together about 120. There, there's something important here I want to point out about Peter. In this group, think about there's 120. You've got the 11 remaining apostles. They're all disciples if they're there. You've got the mother of Jesus and, and the aunt of Jesus. And you've got all the women that, that, were, that were great there in that time. They're all gathering this. So you've got some godly people here. If there's 120 there, I'm willing to bet you've got 120 Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders, preachers right there in that room. I doubt that any of them couldn't, couldn't hold their own when it comes to they've spent time with the Messiah. So, so you've got 120 sold-out people right here, and Peter stands up and takes charge. I can tell you why that's important to me. Because apparently, if, if my math works right, 43 days ago, he denied that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. 43 days ago, he blatantly, openly said, I do not know this man. And he began to curse those who accused him of being a friend of Jesus. Just a little over a month ago, less than five weeks ago, denied that he even knew him. Now he's the front runner of these 120 people. I'll tell you why that's important. Because it's obvious that God has forgiven it and because God has forgiven it, Peter has forgotten it. And he's gone on to be what God called him to be. The reason that's important is because the devil's using your past against us. The, the devil uses our past every day. It's the greatest tool he's got because it's the worst things we've done. But the devil comes in and tries to take a past that is forgiven and forgotten by God. We know that it's been forgiven, so it needs to be forgotten by us. Y'all have heard it said a lot of times when the devil starts reminding you of your past, you just remind him of his future. and Rebuke him in the name of Jesus and say, leave me alone. I'm cleansed in the blood of the Lamb of God. My sins are washed away. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. His seal is upon my forehead. There ain't nothing you can do in the name of Jesus. Get off my back, leave me alone, and then be what God told us to be. Amen. Verse number 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Notice how it starts out, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. You know what that means? It means Peter had been reading the Bible. It means Peter had been reading the scriptures. In that day, what they had would have been called the Law and the Prophets. They had the Law and the Prophets from Moses down, what we call the Old Testament, Obviously, Peter's been reading that, and, and he understands what he has. Can I tell you it's important for you to read your Bible? I promise you, I preach it as true as I know how. And I read it exactly like it's written, and according to Scriptures, I add nothing to nor take anything away. And if there's anything in there, regardless of how hard it cuts, I'm going to preach it just like I believe God had to preach it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to read it. It is important for every individual to read our Bible so that we might know our Bible, and it is important that we use what we know. We, we use what we know in a lot of ways. It's not just important to know the Word of God so that we can use it when we're witnessing to someone and trying to tell someone that is lost about the blood of Jesus Christ and how He came and to know about the blood and the cross and Calvary and salvation and forgiveness. It's important to know all that to witness, but it's also important to know the Word of God because it gives us strength in times of adversity. 
It's important to know, as we talked about Sunday, it's important to know the promises of God because it gives us strength and security and help and everything that we need when we're going through trials and, and tribulations. It gives us all of the information that we need to ward off the temptations of the devil the same way that Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He used the word of God to set the devil straight. He used the word of God to ward off the temptation to get that off. It's the same thing for us. If we know the word of God, th then we can use it. But we can't know what we don't read. So it's important. Peter says here of Judas Iscariot. Oh, man, I doesn't have to be done. Um, he says he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Ju Judas Iscariot was part of the ministry. He, he, was, he was their friend. He was one of their traveling companions. Judas was given the same thing they were given, which means he healed the sick. He had the same power of the Holy Ghost as the other 11 apostles. It means that, that, that he raised the, the dead. He, he, he cast out demons. He did everything that they did. He carried the money sack. He ministered unto the poor. He was with Jesus on the night that he betrayed him. He was with them in the upper room. As Jesus broke the bread and poured the wine, this is my body, this is my blood, take, eat, take, drink. He, he was there. He was part of it. He threw it all away for 30 stinking pieces of silver. He threw it away for a worldly idol. People are doing that with their lives every single day right now. They are selling out their souls. They don't want to hear what you got to say about the gospel. They don't want salvation all they want is a few minutes of what the world calls pleasure, and they are losing their soul to hang on to the pleasures of the world. It's up to us. Just keep telling them the truth. Just keep telling them about the gospel. Can I tell you, Judas never spent one dime of that money. I'm not going to have time to cover this, so I'll give you just enough to leave you halfway confused so you'll have to go home and study. He never spent the money. The money did him no good at all. It makes it sound like he took the money and bought the field, but that's not the way that works. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 3, Judas, which had betrayed them, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Verse number 4, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it's the price of blood. They took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers, wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, talking about Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. What Matthew 27 says here and what Luke says in the Acts of the Apostles is not a contradiction. It makes it sound in Acts more like Luke, like he took the money, bought the field. Judas did have a field, a field that he had bought, and, and he did hang himself in that field. It's not the field of blood that the priest took and bought to bury um, strangers in. All it'll take is a little bit of studying in those two fields and find the two things that those two fields represent. But here's the deal. He sold out the Son of God. He sold his soul to hell for 30 pieces of silver. And he never got to spend an ounce of it. 
falling so bad he threw it in and then hanged himself. You know the reason a lot of Christians are miserable today? Boy, this is a terrible thing to have to end on. Because they're washed in the blood of the Lamb and trying to still live like they're a child of the world. There's a lot of miserable Christians. It's not because God's not able. It's because they're still trying to dabble around and keep on with the 30 pieces of silver. There ain't nothing wrong with the silver. There ain't nothing wrong with having the silver. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. A lot of people are miserable because they're, they're so... Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. The reason so many Christians are miserable is because they're seeking ye first all of these things and want the kingdom of God to be added on top of it. Well, that's a heck of a place to finish on a Wednesday night, ain't it? Man, I ain't coming back next week. I don't blame you. I may not come either. Well, Lord willing, if we do, we'll pick up. They, they begin to do the process of filling this spot, which is Peter's main point. That's what he's trying to get to. We'll, we'll pick up. Peter says, as it is written, and he goes again to the book of Psalms and begins to talk about a couple things that are written there. And they're talking about filling the place where Judas Iscariot was. I'll also, Lord willing, next week, I'll give you a little bit of content on what some scholars believe that, that maybe Matthias wasn't the right one and who the Lord's choice might have actually been. But until next week, we got Sunday between now and then, don't we? We got Sunday school. Thank you, Lord. We got Treehouse, Children's Church. Man, it's just exciting to have some things back. Man, be, be praying. Be praying. All it'll take is an outbreak to change it. I will tell you, we didn't just all of a sudden decide we had the 22nd marked on here for a day, but, but our, we had to see some lines, at least plateau or taper, in the school systems and in the hospital, new admissions and things. And we saw what we needed to see to get to open. And several other churches opened today, too, that I've talked to. So a lot of them are back. But all it takes is one more outbreak. And, and we're right back. So let, let's be praying. Amen. I'd ask you as well to, to pray that God would keep a hedge of protection around this church and around our children, around all the things as we try to get ministries back in. And it puts a lot of close contact back in. And putting Sunday school puts close contact back in. I'd ask you to pray that God keep ahead you by it. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for allowing us to be back in your house on a Wednesday night. God, if, if what, what Tim alluded to, that we can only have tomorrow what we're thankful for today, then God, we're thankful to be in the house of God. Thank you for letting us be back together as one family, one body, to come together to study your word. Thank you for those things, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God, for teaching us and strengthening us. Thank you, God, for hearing and answering prayers of sinners. Thank you, God, for being so incredibly good. We love you, God. Thank you so much for all you do. Help us to be a light in a dark world, to be pleasing to you, God. I pray you'd help us to be exactly what you'd have us to be, nothing more, nothing less. May we be in the center of your perfect will, pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.